This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey, welcome to the Raptors weekly podcast, although this is a more short form version of it. Something I'm calling, I guess, consensus, where I'm bringing on beat writers and league-wide writers, asking them a short set of questions to figure out what do these guys really, and girls, really think of what's going on with the Raptors? What is being communicated via the film and the media to these people? And we're going to get into that first with Jackson Frank, who is a league-wide writer covering the NBA for Basketball News, Dime Up Rocks, and Liberty Ballers. One of my favorite writers, to be quite frank with you. So if I come off as a bit biased towards his uh, line of thinking, apologies. But yeah, he's done so much great work. His scope is exceptionally wide for the league. And so, Jackson, very pleased to have you on. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well. I appreciate the kind words, and I'm excited to talk about... uh... A, a funky Raptors team that I think is, you know, there's, it's a little, we'll get into it, but I think they look a little different than people expected coming into the year, but maybe they're, you know, still about as good, you know, as people thought, but in a different way, which is what makes uh, all of this fun to discuss. A funk fest, uh, as, uh, you know, mutual friend of ours, Hank Ward referred to them. Uh, I do, I do enjoy the term funk fest. And so let's kick it off then. Cliff Notes, the Raptors, what have you thought so far? Has anything surprised you? Has anything um, been exactly as you thought your shorthand account of the season so far. Yeah. When you, when you reached out with kind of these questions, I actually liked this a lot because I think that's something that I've tried to do better when I think about every team, like how could I give a synopsis of the team in one or two cents if someone asks. So um, for me with the Raptors, I think, you know, they're a little better than expected offensively. I think cleaning the glass has them just above league average, like 13th in offensive rating there um, and worse defensively than I think people thought. Um, you know, part of, and I think that's partly because of their aggressive style, which is prone to getting beat inside. They don't have, you know, a big time center to cover that. So, um, that would be kind of my cliff notes, but I think they're better offensively because of growth from guys like Fred Van Vliet, OG and Gary Trent Jr. And obviously, you know, Scotty Barnes being delightful as a rookie. So, um, I guess that's a little more than one or two sentences, but that would be my way of describing them a little better than a little better offensively because of internal growth, a little worse defensively because of limited personnel. Okay. And when we talk about that offense of Fred, Gary, OG, I know you were really bullish on OG coming into this season. So let's start there. OG and Anobi obviously has gone through a little bit more of the health and safety stuff a little in the hit pointer thing, kept him out as well. The pull-up jumper hasn't translated exactly as people would want, but there are some things to like there. What have you thought about him so far? Yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy that he feels like, what, this may be the second year in a row that people kind of pegged, pegged him for a breakout. Um, and he, he, he's, he's scoring more than last year, and he's, you know, he's still been you know, a very good defender in a lot of ways. Um, but I think you know, he has some kind of, I don't know, inherent, but maybe like flaws in just maybe his physical profile that kind of prevent him from being, you know, 
that you, people see kind of this six, eight wing who can score and litany of ways, but maybe he has some issues that prevent him from being the go-to creator. But um, obviously the step back, I think is what stood out to me this year the most. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but that feels like a shot that he's been pretty comfortable with, especially from anywhere 12 to 18 feet. You know, he gets maybe a smaller guy or guy has some sort of strength advantage, which is, you know, most players because he's exceptionally strong and he'll kind of back down or choose his way in and get a little one or two foot step back. Um, but he still has balance issues. You know, the handle is, is better than, you know, I think it's taken strides basically every year to an extent, but he still has some issues there in terms of a clean gather on pull-ups at times or driving and finishing. So, um, I think he's definitely a better self-career than last year when I think he was better than he was the year before in that regard as well. But, um, kind of the, the balance and the handling give him kind of cap how good he can be in those regards. But I still think he's someone that when the Raptors needed a bucket at times, you know, on maybe a slight slight advantage or the ball swings his way with the defense orientation, he's pretty capable. Um, but he just has less, less infrastructure around him than, you know, previous years. Definitely. I would say more than, than last year off the top of my head, but, um, less than, you know, when the, when the Raptors were competing for a one or a two seed or even, you know, winning a title. I know he wasn't part of that playoff round, unfortunately, but, um, still on the team during the regular season and whatnot. So, um, I hope that all makes sense. There's a lot of OG is a very complex player to analyze offensively and I want to be measured. I think he's done things better, like I said, with the setback, but, you know, the handling and the balance can give him some, some troubles to really be, you know, a, top tier wing creator or even you know a, a, a very good wing creator i think he's a solid one right now mm-hmm. well yeah that's the thing about og is that he can always fall back into a very diverse set of skills one that is more diverse than a lot of players who are three and d adjacent og is pretty great as a screener can actually flash into the middle of his own and will give you a little bit of the creation chops and downhill passing chops. But if it doesn't, if he doesn't take that next step, he still has, you know, a multitude of valuable things to fall back on. The Raptors started out six and three, and then they fell quite a bit below 500. They've now battled back to 18 and 17. Do you find that this 18 and 17 is a sustainable above 500? And did you think that the six and three was a sustainable above 500? I think 1817 is much closer to their, you know, their level. I mean, if you look at it, if you extrapolate it out, six and three would mean they'd win 18 of the first 27 games and they won 18 of the first 35. Um, obviously, you know, some injuries and some health and safety protocol. Quick you know, match. Fortunately. Um, but I, but I think this is the team that, you know, if I had, if everything was level across the league, which, you know, it's never the case um, or at least everything's kind of stable from here on out for them to an extent that I think would win more games than it, than it loses. Um, which means, you know, we have at least 42 wins in the year. Um, but they, it's just, they have good players. You know, we mentioned OG, Fred Van Vliet, I'm sure we'll get into more, but he's excellent. Pascal, you know, is, is very good. Um, you know, Kerry Trent Jr. has been, you know, been really, really solid for them this year. Um, that could even be understating him. Scotty Barnes is wonderful. Um, you know, Nick Nurse has some issues, I think, offensively, but I, but I still think he doesn't overcomplicate things. And I think he's still a good coach. And so, um, when you have good starters and you have someone that you can still feel like helps you, doesn't, it doesn't hurt you on the sidelines. That's a good recipe to win, you know, more games than you lose. And I think by that definition, I think that's, that's good enough to get you into the, the playoffs or at least into the playing competition for, you know, in the East, because the East, you know, maybe it's better, maybe it's better than that in that range than in the West, but 
um, you know, this, this isn't this isn't years past where sometimes, you know, at least in the West, thinking about the West where there's been years where teams that win 48 games or 47 games don't even don't make the playoffs. So I think that's, you know, this recipe is good enough for the for the Raptors to you know, sustain where they are currently, which I think is, is seven or eight right now, if I recall. Mm-hmm. The I think it was the 13-14 Suns who won 49 games and missed the playoffs. I, the Isaiah Thomas, Dragic, Bledsoe Suns. Or, or yeah, maybe that was the year before Isaiah Thomas came. And then Isaiah yeah. Thomas was the guy they wanted to get into the playoffs, and then he didn't want to be there. Or that was Bledsoe who didn't want to be there. Anyway. Yeah, Bledsoe was, Bledsoe was the classic, didn't want to be there. But yeah, I think one year maybe the Grizzlies won 48 or 15, or like the 7 or 8 seed. There have been some ridiculous years in the West, which is certainly not the case this year as the 15 and 22 Spurs currently hold the, uh, the 10 seed out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so stylistically, these Raptors, they look – well, offensively, as you were saying, like it, it's pretty simplistic. Nick Nurse, it it is a read and react system, a lot more than a lot of other systems in the NBA. They pare down their pick and roll for a lot more of you know weave stuff above the break just to get guys in motion, and th- that's a reflection of the guys on the roster. But defensively, you mentioned at the top, like they are playing an extremely aggressive style. If I asked you. Hey, what's going on with this team stylistically that surprises you? Where would you go with that? Yeah, I think the aggressive style offensively made sense, right? Like, I think they're first in in turnover rate in terms of like fourteen turnovers when I was checking recently, um, which makes sense. They have you know a bunch of rangy wings who are smart and aware and instinctual on that end, and they have to force a lot of turnovers because they really you know they don't really have a lot of size inside. Ken Birch, you know, is I think been solid this year, but he's also missed time when he's still a little small. Um, but offensive, I think, is what's been interesting to me, you know, because this team, you know, according to Synergy, is second transition frequency, which I think most people thought, right? Like this team still has troubles mm-hmm. creating the half court because, you know, like, and so if that's the issue, then you're going to force a lot of turns, you're going to get out and run, which is what they do. Um, but they are so slow in the half court. They're, they're, they're 26th in pace, um, but second transition frequency. I know pace plays into, you know, how fast the opposing team is getting into its possessions as well, but um, you'd think you're at least, you know, around league average at, at worst, right? If you're second in transition frequency. Um, but this team is so methodical, led, led by Fred Van Vliet, led by Pascal's patient and poised face-ups from the wings and the elbows, um, from OG's, you know, methodical calculated post-ups against switches, things like that. Um, they're just very precise. And you mentioned read and react, but it doesn't feel like they – they're, they're like, when they get into a half court position, they're not just forcing to get a shot up quick because they want, because they know that they're going to struggle. Right. I think. And so I think they really take on the, the identity of, of Fred um, in that half court. He's just so particular about everything and he makes so many great decisions. And I think it's just interesting that you have a team that runs so often in part because it has to, but also because it forces a lot of turnovers, but when they don't get those opportunities, they are very slow about going about their, their actions. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. I know you'll enjoy this. Is something that's fantastic is when you find a really great wrinkle about a team, and then you'll actually get quotes from the team accepting that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Joe Wolfond wrote just a phenomenal piece about these Raptors and about chasing the the possession wins and how the Raptors at the start of the season would basically have like four guys below the free throw line to hunt offensive rebounds. And as you said, everybody knew they were going to chase transition opportunities and stuff like that, but they're looking for the the possession differential. And Nick nurse said, if you get more than 
Like if you win the possession differential by more than five, you win a really, really high percentage of games. And I thought that it was really interesting that the Raptors were trying to artificially manufacture that because good teams get there naturally by playing with good players and all that kind of stuff. But the Raptors are trying to jerry-rig possession differential. And obviously we've seen mixed returns so far. Isn't, isn't that kind of like fascinating? Yeah, that, that is. And I just, I want to say like Joe does really awesome work mm-hmm. watching the Raptors in general. I really, really like his stuff. Um, definitely recommend anyone who's listening to, to give Joe a follow if you don't already. Um, we'll certainly make you a smarter basketball consumer, which I think is what everyone wants, right? Um, but yeah, that, that is it. That is interesting. And I think, you know, when I was, you know, I had an idea of who the Raptors were, but I always like to, you know, make sure that what I'm saying, you know, is, is reinforced by the stats. If I'm going to cite something that, you know, can be proven or disproven by the stats. And um, I think they're first in like offensive rebounding rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like 27th in defensive rebounding rate, which is interesting because not those, those numbers aren't always correlated, but I think it shows like you mentioning that there's a concerted effort to, you know, broaden your possessions. And obviously you would love to secure defensive rebounds, but they don't really have the personnel as much because they don't have, they don't have some, you know, traditional center who can just, you know, swallow a bunch of defensive rebounds. And so, um, but what they can do is make it work offensively. So uh, that, that is fascinating. I think as, you know, as I mentioned, you can see, you can see that illuminated through the discrepancy of offensive rebounding success and defensive rebounding success um, there. So uh, yeah, I think that, you know, that makes sense that you, quite often when you look at a team, especially when it's a team, two teams playing that you don't maybe think are in the same caliber. Uh, if you're watching here, you go look at the box score. If, if the team that you don't think is supposed to win wins or is competitive, it's usually because they, you know, have more possessions or they make better use of their possessions, which sounds really simplistic. Um, but, but is really the case. There are, there are certain things about basketball games that are really simple. Um, now the, the complex thing is figuring out why those things occur. Um, but yeah, you, you get more possessions or you maximize your possessions better. You're usually going to be in a game or, or winning game comfortably or, or just win in general. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you had been alluding to Fred um, a couple times in this podcast and Fred deserves a lot of love. So we're going to go there now. We're going to talk about the all-star case of Fred Van Vliet, and then we'll sneak in some Pascal Siakam love just because of the form he's been in. I don't expect him to make it. He missed too many games and he took too long to get back into the swing of things, I would say. But yeah, let's do Fred. Thoughts on Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was kind of just rough, rough handedly doing my all-star teams for fun a few nights ago. Um, when we get closer, I'll do, I'll, I'll be a little more meticulous, look at the stats, get all the spreadsheets out and, and obviously watch the film. But um, Fred is like pretty clearly on there for me right now. Um, like I, I, like I, I would be disappointed and frustrated. If he doesn't make it like legitimately. I didn't like other players will be deserved. Like I, I think if whoever makes it instead of him will be someone that I won't really, you know, be upset with, but uh, he's just been so incredible. He's been an awesome, awesome shooter, obviously. Um, but you've seen strides in the two point score way more effective and comfortable from mid range, especially that kind of that area from maybe right out, like maybe three feet outside the restricted area to two feet inside the arc or one foot inside the arc. Um, and I, I think, you know, what impresses me is obviously, you know, the defense, right? Like he's great navigating the screen. He's great at the nail with those, those strong digs, those stunts in the post, um he was good on the ball like i said there um but he just has a certain level of control on both ends over so many possessions and i think that's that's what stars or superstars do i don't everyone has a different definition of superstar i'm a little more liberal with it um like i i would consider fred Emily a superstar this year i would need to see a little i would need to see a little more sustained 
play to just say he's outright a superstar, but this year I think he's absolutely played that way because he controls so many possessions. And going back to what I'm talking about with you know the half court offense, like he is just so there's a mastery from him that is really impressive. And and so I've just been I just find myself like watching the Raptors play and and just constantly being like like he's he's an incredible basketball player. Like yeah, there are certain things he does well that that give him that label, but you know sometimes it is easy to just be like he's really really freaking good at nba basketball and that's really hard to do um and as i said it's it just stems from just the fact that i feel like he is always in control of the things he wants to do it doesn't always work out in his favor but he's in control and that's what superstars and stars do and that's that's why i'd comfortably have him on the east all-star team right now i have a stat for you that i know you'll just adore so this is not one of the public facing statistics of second spectrum but i believe it's in the middle of december fred van vliet was the most disruptive tag man in the NBA. Does that surprise you? It it does. I think just because he's what, 5'10", 5'11", 6 foot, whatever. He's whatever shorter you than call. me, which is kind of like whatever, whatever Fred prefers. I I I am yeah. cool whatever 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 you want. Some people like going taller, some people like going shorter, but it surprised me a little bit just because of that because it's it's really hard to be disruptive as a lone man. Like if you're not like six six maybe even then like you're you're it can be tough um but as we mentioned he's much smaller than that but he's so aware he's so heady um he's really tough to dislodge like a lot of times guards who are acting as low men struggle because it's easy to just kind of finish through them or dislodge them fred is not that way um you see it like i mentioned you know at the point of attack playing the nail um so it surprised me a little bit when i think about it i can see why that that was the case at least you know as of three weeks ago or two weeks ago whenever that stat was was determined, but you know, that's an awesome stat. I, I just, I just am so impressed with him. And um, I, don't, I don't know if right now I'd have him as, you know, the second guard starter alongside Trey. I think Trey for me is kind of indisputable there, but um, he's at least in the running. Like, I think you could go with any of DeMar, Levine, Harden, Van Vliet. Um, if you really want to stretch it to even a Garland or LaMelo, I probably would push back, but I wouldn't be, you know, irate about it. But I think that just speaks to how good, you know, Fred's been because the guard depth in the East is really, really awesome this year. And I think Fred has as good a case as anyone for second, um, which just speaks to him. And he's been such a joy to watch this year. I just really, really enjoy him. And it's, you know, he's just, he's just incredible. Uh, I really hope he makes the All-Star team because it's, he's, he's one of those guys that I just, there's no doubt in my mind right now, he's an All-Star. I know, um, you know, that's, that's not, uh, it's not infallible for everyone, but for, for me it is and i feel like there's enough evidence out there to, to reinforce that sentiment and as an homage to i think you should leave he can hit he is he is one of the the nba players who's allowed to be uber aggressive so that helps with with tagging and uh being more disruptive uh let's do pascal i don't think uh, very few people will put him on an out uh well actually i'm sure that no coaches will put him on an all-star ballot it's just you miss that much time, you miss whatever. But he's been in that form. He's been just terrific recently. I, I'd like to get your take on Pascal. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know. Um, you know, what stood out to me in, in the games I watched, and I want to say, I don't know, Pascal's played 22 games. I've probably watched, I don't know, any like, you know, uh, just off the top of my head. You know, I have I have I have a track of all the rap other rappers game I've watched, but I don't have a you know delineation for when Pascal came back off the top, but probably nine, 10, 11 of his games, maybe. Um, what what stands out to me, especially compared to last year and, you know, even dating back to the bubble is the, the quality of shots he gets feel a lot better to me than 
than than last year and you know when, when he struggled in the bubble and he just feels a little more he feels a little more paced he but when he decides to go he just feels spry and light and quick off the ground he's had a number of plays this year where that handles on a string and he's he's hesitating then exploding the rim for a finish or getting into that that quick pull up from 14 feet away um that's obviously been the case as of late he's put together a lot of really awesome you know offensive games um, you know, for, for my viewing and, you know, the past scene obviously took a leap last year and I think he's been pretty good there again. Um, defensively, I, the best way I can describe it, I feel is inconsistent. There are times where I feel like he looks like the Pascal that I, that I first saw four or five years ago, where he's, he's really quick and active on the perimeter, you know, guarding a bunch of different positions. Um, and other times he looks a little slower. I, I think about, you know, I, you know, I have, I was looking at my notes before this pod and, you know, one game where I think he looked great on the perimeter um, defensively is the one against the Celtics in late November. Um, but then when they put the Clippers, I think on New Year's, he looks a little slower to me, not slower in general. Like he was still good offense. He was really awesome offensively him and Fred, especially close in that game. Um, but he just feels inconsistent to me. Like he'll be, he'll be late to execute a switch or a tag or, or a stunt. And then the next, the next play of the next game, he's right on top of it. So, um, you know, I think some of that is just because he's coming back from injury, but also, because the Raptors have had so many different guys in that lineup that that makes it tough as well. So um, I, I've been impressed that really impressed offensively and at times really impressed defensively, but um, just a little inconsistent in the, in the latter area for me, but I've just liked the quality of shots and how quick he looks and operates offensively. And that's been really important for him. Mm-hmm. Totally agreed. Uh, the most interesting thing for me is the, he, his rebounding rate is way up and his contested rebounding rate is way up. And he shoots more mid-range jump shots to keep the offense afloat instead of like, he basically, he doesn't pull up from three anymore. And with the Raptors, he's the release valve now where the Serge Ibaka pick and pop was for, you know, four years. And, uh, you know, you could, you could even see it in the game last night against Milwaukee that when they didn't have anything going and the one pass away three pointer that, you know, is the the start of a lot of droughts, including the, the 27, uh, three-point drought that the Houston Rockets went after. It's uh, it's something that he's helping them avoid. And while it's not as sexy as the 34% that he shot in the, the second-team All-NBA season on three-point pull-ups, which 34% for him is pretty crazy, especially on, I think, like three attempts a game. But uh, it's been cool to see him kind of switch up how he attacks. And I 100% agree with you that uh, the pacing and the control that he's played with inside the arc has just been leagues better than uh than it has been in the past okay scotty barnes the the golden boy of raptors twitter the golden boy of the fan base he is uh endlessly endearing and uh his favorite food baked beans what do you think about scotty beans yeah i've been i've been really really impressed with with him uh you know obviously he's you know one of one of the best rookies in a really incredible class um, I feel like every night I could, you know, I could wake up. I feel like every night I could watch a great game from a rookie or the next day, wake up and find one to watch. Um, but I think what's been cool is watching just how, how Scotty evolves and adapts to different circumstances in his game. Um, you know, I think back to what, maybe a month ago when he started, he started taking way more threes and it was because the coaching staff encouraged him to, when he just, he did, and he started making them. Uh, you know, there's times where it feels like he's been a little better as a passer at times. Um, he's certainly turning the corner defensively, figuring out kind of the speed of the NBA game and all the rotations that, you know, a hectic Raptors defense requires uh, of a guy like Scott who can cover so much ground and do so many things. Um, 
But I think what's so cool when I, you know, when I've watched as of late, especially, and this is the case all season, but it's just kind of what stood out to me when I've watched a couple of those games recently is the way he kind of covers grounds and creates the space he needs for a shot, um, especially from kind of right inside the foul line is really impressive. Um, I was watching the Spurs game the other day and he just had a couple of plays where he kind of backs down and the Spurs would, would dig in the post and he would just promptly kind of raise the ball above his head, take a big long stride into space where he kind of like goes from like perpendicular to the hoop to parallel the hoop and just quickly rise for a little jumper. So, um, you know, obviously there seemed to be a lot of questions when, when Scotty was a, was a prospect, or it's a pre-draft prospect, I should say, um, and kind of how he would score the ball. And now I feel like almost the, the question is like, what's the best way for Scotty to score the ball, which I think is a really, 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 really impressive development in such a quick amount of time. And so um, I've just liked how many different versions of Scotty we've seen throughout the year and how many different ways he can impact the game. Um, you know, whether it's scoring, passing, figuring things out defensively. That's, I love that you remarked upon his ability to get downhill while being agile. It's a tough thing to do because you, you, your center of gravity gets higher when you move. And especially if you're moving fast and when he's like backing guys down and being like kind of bouncy about it so that he can, you know, hop step into a place where he can take a jumper or a push shot or something like that, or a big gather, he's still able to get guys, you know, moving downhill with him. And uh, yeah, his motion in that kind of stuff has been really advanced and he's very, very accomplished to getting to his own shots. He's passed out of some empty side stuff recently. That's been kind of like, Hmm, I wonder why he's doing that, but it's, it's a really, really fantastic aspect of his game. Do you have any thoughts uh, defensively on Scotty? Yeah, I would say, honestly, that's like, that's where I feel like I don't have a great read. Um, And some of that is because, you know, I, I, I try to watch as much as I can. Um, and I try to make sure I'm watching every team, you know, every two, three, four, five days. Um, and sometimes, you know, Sky has been, he has, he's played most of the season, but he's been in, in and out of the lineup a little bit. I think he had a, was it a wrist injury early in the year and then he was in health and safety. So um, I just don't feel like I've gotten to tap into Scotty once every three days. It feels like I, it's maybe once every seven days or eight days. And that can make it tough for me to get a read on a little more nuanced part of a guy's game like defense. Um, but I do feel like he's had some really impressive plays off the ball um, at times. There's definitely times where I feel like, you know, a guy will cut or something and, you know, Scotty doesn't sense it because he's watching the ball or, or he just misses a rotation. That I don't feel like that was the Scotty Barnes that I watched when I, when I saw, you know, him, I didn't really watch much from Florida state, but I scouted enough of him, you know, when he was playing in high school and with Montverde and, you know, with AAU and whatnot. Um, so I guess this is a long window way of me saying I truthfully don't have a great feel for Scotty's defense just because I you know can't watch every game. And sometimes when I cast the Raptors, he's been out of the lineup for, you know, a couple of reasons, but um, that truthfully, I think for me is the biggest priority as I continue to watch the Raptors over the last, you know, 47 regular season games is to kind of get a better read on him defensively because I just, I just don't, I don't feel like, like, I feel like at times I would have a read, but he just, he's such a rapidly evolving player that I don't, I can't nail it down, which is a testament to him, honestly, the fact that like, you know, some guys, it's, some guys you can watch four or five games, um, less so with rookies, but still sometimes it's the case and feel like good about certain parts of the game but with Scotty, the defense, I just feel like is always, always changing. And so I don't have a great read on it, honestly. Yeah. He's, he's been a tough guy to kind of pencil in. It's like, okay, we understand. But if you, if you want a really good game to watch for the Raptors started using him as the low man uh, more often in rotation, 
Uh, December 10th against the Knicks was probably his best defensive game of the year. And he played closer to the big position or closer okay. aesthetically to what you would, what we would understand as like a big man than he would as a wing. But uh, yeah, very happy with those uh, answers on Scotty. That's, that's about where I am uh, as far as uh, Scotty goes, but okay. Final question for you. If you think the Raptors are a team that could add players for a run at the playoffs slash, you know, a puncher's chance in a first round series, you know, we talked about, are they the seven, eight, are they the nine, 10, whatever, like, a first round series is crazy to win coming in at that seating. Is there something you'd like them to look for or adversely, if you were another team, what would you be trying to pry away from the Raptors for a run of your own? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, pretty obviously they could benefit from, from a big man, just make it easier to end possessions. Don't put all the pressure on your, your wings or your big forwards or if you want to call them there. Um, I don't know exactly where that would come from. Like, I think, I think a guy like Taj Gibson would be interesting for, for a couple of teams. Like that's, that's a guy that I think the bucks would benefit from as well. Um, you know, they obviously just cut DeMarcus cousins. So they're maybe looking for another big man um, with the Brooke Lopez thing in, in flux. But I think Taj has been pretty good this year. I know he's not a, he's not huge. Like he's not a seven foot center, not six eleven. I think he's maybe six, nine, but he's a pretty awesome player. And I don't know what the Knicks direction is They're You know, they're only a game and a half behind the, the, uh, the Raptors, but they had pretty big expectations this year and, you know, for litany of reasons, they haven't, you know, accomplished those through 38 games. So he's a guy that I think would be interesting. Um, I'm curious, you know, I cover the Sixers. I'm curious what they do with Andre Drummond. He's been great for them this year, but he's also a impending free agent who should probably get, who should get a better, bigger deal than the veterans minimum because he's played, you know, much better than that this year. Um, so I'd be, you know, like, is there anything to do with Raptors or anything that might entice might entice them there, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if the secret, this is not Intel based or anything. I don't know if the secrets are going to trade him, but I just wonder, you know, is, is that a guy, like, do they try and start playing Charles Bassey, you know, the backup five who's been, who's been good for the Sixers this year in, in small samples. So um, I think a big man could help, but I also think a backup guard, you know, I know that they are often going to, you know, letting one of their forwards, you know, run the offense when Fred sits. And I know that they would probably like to have Goran Dragic there if, you know, I know, but they're, you know, kind of, that whole situation is, is, is unto its own, but um, those are the two situations that I, or the two spots I think that could benefit them, especially a big man, just make it a little easier defensively. Um, let guys like OG and Pascal and Fred at times fill the lanes rather than always having to hunt for rebounds. Um, I think those guys can be so dynamic from transition, whether it's Pascal getting downhill, Fred leaking out to the wings for those quick trigger threes, OG doing his thing. Um, but a lot of times them and others, you know, are kind of tasked to, rebound the ball and that can make it tougher to get ahead of the, you know, the, the transition defense. So um, those are the things to me that I think you know, could really benefit this team and make them go from, you know, 18, 17 to a team that, you know, maybe you feel a little more confident about declaring outright playoff or your, your playoff team versus maybe even just a play in contender. But um, on the second half of that question, someone who comes to mind for me that I think, you know, you know, I'm not, I think, you know, most people will be like, oh, like, what about Pascal? But I don't, you know, I don't know there, but I think a guy like, like Yuta, I'd be interested to see kind of, you know, like he's a guy that's been really impressive to me in the games that I've seen when he's, when he's been in the rotation. Um, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like he might be someone who's squeezed from the rotation when the Raptors are all healthy. Um, and I just, I just been impressed with his defensive versatility. He can attack floats a little bit. Um, you know, he's, he moves really well for his size defensively. You know, I remember the game against the Nets a few weeks ago. He had some impressive possession against KD, and that's tough to do. Like most 
defenders can't bother Katie because he's seven foot and shoots the ball above his head. Um, and you'd have had a couple of possessions where at least it felt like, okay, I don't know how much he impacted the result there, but it felt like he at least did something against KD. So um, he's got, I think, you know, just, he has good size. He moves well at his size. He's, he can attack closeouts. He's shooting 38% from three this year, I believe. So um, I just think he's someone that could really benefit a rotation with his, you know, ability to, you know, play both ends in a complimentary role and maybe even sometimes defend a, a bigger wing. Like, you know, he is a guy that I, I wonder, you know, like, you know, we both converse a lot of Bulls fans. We, and the Bulls have been really fun to watch this year. And a lot of them are thinking like, how do we, how can we get someone who can at least bother some of the big wing creators? Because I think that's probably the Bulls biggest deficiency defensively is, is that, and maybe, you know, the uh, defending or playing against athletes under control the glass. But you as a guy, I think that the Bulls could go and target. I know they want to get Harrison Barnes, Jeremy Grant. Those have been two names tossed around, even Kendrick Williams to an extent. But, you know, the Raptors feel like they have someone who isn't as good as those guys, but could fill the role to an extent of what the Bulls need there. So he's, you know, I just think like those big wings who can you know, stretch the floor moderately well um, are usually pretty important for championship contenders. I, I never like to say one archetype is like necessary. But if you look at some of the, the best teams the last few years, they generally have them, whether it's, you know, it's the, you know, I don't know what you want to call Giannis, but you can call Giannis. I guess a big wing, Jay Crowder, Draymond. Um, the Lakers had some size with LeBron and even Kyle Kuzma to an extent when they won the bubble. The Bulls, the Heat obviously had Jay Crowder as well. So um, it just feels like a really useful archetype on, on good teams. And I don't know if the Raptors have enough. I don't know if there are enough minutes for the Raptors to maximize his services. And he's a guy I think could really help some playoff teams. That's a really great assessment. This is something I've actually talked about before. When the Raptors were doing much worse during the year, I was like, you know, Utah is really good, and he is the best closeout defensively in the league. I think his footwork is great. Man, he, he's one of the rare guys who can um, keep three-point attempts down without surrendering drives. Just, like, the routes he takes, his footwork, and he's really quick, like, with his feet in those positions. It's awesome. And and you're correct. Like, when the Raptors are fully healthy, when they have – Barnes, when they have Ananobi, when they have Siakam, and they're still trying to figure out, you know, are they playing all three of Boucher, Birch, and Precious? Uh, how many of, like, who's the guy who's losing out? And Birch and Boucher are probably going to get minutes regardless, especially since Boucher's been good lately. And Precious is really young, and he was the the big piece in the Kyle Lowry trade. So they're invested in him. And Utah is a guy who has probably like he's developed into a guy who's too good for the rotation like spot that he occupies with the Raptors and certainly a team that wants to make waves in the playoffs and is a little bit short on wing talent. He'd be, yeah, a terrific fit. I, I love that answer. Although I really like Utah. So <laughs> not being able to write or like, you know, watch every game that he participates in would be a bit tough, but you know, I understand good things for Utah and then hopefully he could get paid the next year. But uh any any parting shots for the Raptors and the fans? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think you know, I I really I would I I I mean, obviously they've won four in a row now. I think, or at least three. It feels like this team is starting to figure it out, and you know, like the East, you know, it's, it feels pretty wide open as well. I'm not talking about like I'm not saying the Raptors are gonna like win the title, but it feels like there's a lot of upward mobility available in the in this Eastern Conference climate. Um, and I think the Raptors just, you know, for, like I would have to think about more in depth, but Fred at least has a case for an all NBA guy. 
Pascal as of late, especially has been playing like an all-star. We know he can play like one. OG, it seems like as he kind of gets you know his footing again, is a guy that you know was at least an above average starter, which I generally deem you know top 50, top 60. Um, that's a really good recipe. That that's <laughs> like you have those guys you know, leading the way, you're in a good position. So uh, I'm just really excited to watch this team continue to unfold. I'm excited to watch Scotty. Um, like I said, figuring out his defense and kind of where I assess it currently, where I assess its growth is one of my kind of to do to do things on my to do list. I should say, Jesus, um, as the season progresses. But um, you know, I, I really do find this team interesting, and you know, I, I think they are good because they have good players and they have and their best player in Fred VanVleet is really, really, really good, as we've made clear. But um, just a fascinating team and, and one that. You know, I think there are certain teams I watch that I don't find them super complex in how I analyze what they have, what they're good at, what they're missing. Um, the Raptors not that way, and that's enjoyable. They they really force me to kind of be focused and and reflect upon everything I'm watching, and that's that's good. And that's because they're they're fun and they're cool and they're they're interesting. That's I really enjoy that. Well, Jackson, I thank you so much for your insights. They were they were very pleasing to me. Um, if if I'm gonna be a snob and and judge everybody who comes through here and what I'm doing. You know, like Mark and Nikias when they come through to talk about them and I judge, what do you know about the Raptors? <laughs> I won't, but uh, if I were that person, I'd say you did really well. Because obviously my eye test is is the, the greatest one of all. <laughs> hey, no, that's that's fine. If, if, if roles were reversed and you were coming on a six-year podcast, I, I, I wouldn't judge you, but I would feel those, I, I would I would feel as though I have a, a good baseline to, to assess you know, the, the, the inside of their takes, but I'm glad that, um, that they passed, they passed your eye test. Cause it, I got, it. it's, it's hard trying to cover the whole league. There are things I'm missing. Yeah, I'm man. sure there are, there are 15 developments you could rattle off about the Raptors this year that I would probably look befuddled. Um, but I'm glad that I provide some insight on a team that is challenging to analyze, but that is good. That makes me a smarter basketball consumer, hopefully makes me a smarter basketball consumer. And that's, that's always a good thing. Is there anything you'd like the people to read, listen to of yours, or is there anywhere you'd like to direct them? Um, uh, nothing really right now. I have a few different pieces in the works that will you know, come out in the next few days, but um, I will keep those under wraps for now and keep them, you know, make them a surprise. I feel like I, I tweet about and talk about enough basketball that I can always kind of keep people off guard, but if you look closely enough, you'll figure figure things out, but I will, I will kind of let the people, uh, you know, I'll keep it a guessing game, but I'll have some fun stuff coming out here. I you know, was sick for a little bit and took me away from, from writing, but I am back and I'm excited to um, write about some stuff again because the NBA is wonderful and uh, you know, it's fun to write about things and give your take on, give your take on what's happening. I guess, my goodness. That's, I'm, that's why I write. That's why I don't podcast. Too much. <laughs> start to ramble. Listener, uh, if I can suggest you do one thing. Let's go to Twitter. If you have Twitter, ja- at Jack Frank underscore GIF. That's J-I-F. And here's the thing. You'll be exposed to all of Jackson's great work, but also the extremely niche vernacular uh, that <laughs> accompanies the clips he puts out of, let's say, Devin Vassell's uh, tantalizing pull-up shooting or some, <laughs> some groovy playmaking from DeMar DeRozan. Sound good, Jackson? Absolutely. All right. Thanks for coming on, man. It's been a blast. Yeah, my pleasure. Always, always enjoy talking basketball with my friend. Okay. Listener, thanks for tuning in as well, whether you got into this in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.